Hey everyone, it's me here, and welcome back to the Super Combo Podcast. As usual, I'm joined by our co-host, Chris of UniX. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing fairly well, I would suppose. I'm just chilling, editing, geeking out on some Dragon Ball news. That's It's just actually a bunch of Dragon Ball tonight. That's literally all that's <laughs> happening in my life right now. Yeah, uh, very fair. Uh, we did have a week of relaxation, but Bandai also blessed us with even more reveals. Uh, very timely, you know, we got uh, Vegeta SCR as uh, the Christmas present, and then we got uh, a new SCR as our New Year's present, but uh, overall decent time. I myself had a pretty relaxing New Year's. Turns out everyone around me is isolating. <laughs> uh, so it was pretty, including myself, because my roommate... Uh, uh, caught the vid, so just kind of vibing. But uh, for the most no, part, no, the vid. Yeah, but it's fine, you know. Like between catching COVID like a year and a half ago and like two vaccinations, and I'm pretty immunized at this point. So we're just kind of vibing, waiting the uh, isolation period out. But uh, yeah, so generally pretty relaxing. Got to like you said, geek out on some cards, watch some cards, speculate, laugh about green again. Um, <laughs> But um, overall, pretty good. Enjoyed uh, my break. You have uh, you enjoy your week uh, week of uh, holidays before uh, jumping back into the real world. Well, I mean, I was really enjoying myself until I saw that second SDR. That uh, that kind of took me out. But but I'm sure we'll talk about that later. <laughs> well, actually, not that far off. So our discussion topics for today are going to be the set 16 black and green reveals. Uh, last week we had black cards and then kicking off the week, uh, we did have some green reveals. Uh, generally, short podcast for the most part. We've only really got cards, not that much news to go over. However, we will give Chris a quick second once we're done with all the reveals to talk about his hype for the new news that came out about the new Dragon Ball movie. And then uh, finally, Thinking on Charge, which is no longer Thinking on Charge, actually. I guess I might as well make the announcement now. Um, you know, I thought it was like a really good name when um, I implemented it as a segment of the podcast. Well, yeah, it turns out it's such a good name. It's actually the name of a Dragon Ball podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah. what is? Yeah, thinking on Charge. <laughs> okay, then. Yeah, so uh, you know what? In respects to them, uh, first off, go ahead and if you guys want more podcasting in your life, uh, go check out Thinking on <laughs> Charge while you're at it. Um, but we will be changing over this segment from Thinking on Charge to the SC Mailbag. So we'll just be calling it that from episode three onwards. So, of course, if you guys ever want to shoot uh, a message or questions for us to answer on air, then just go into uh, the Aspira TCG Discord or just uh, at me with the hashtag SC Mailbag and we'll answer on the show. So... Kicking us off is that SCR that you ever so mentioned, uh, revealed on New Year's Day, Super Mirror Diabolical Fusion. It is a unison with four specified yellow. It's a 25k ultimate dual attack blocker, empower yellow three or black three. For those of you guys who don't know, empower basically means that if this unison replaces a unison on board, it gains up to three markers if that unison has three or more markers. So if the unison would have one, it would gain one, two, two, three, three, maxing out at the number, which for this SCR is three. It has an activate main for four, where if your leader card is a black android card, you get to play it from your hand with four markers on it, making it viable to be able to be played in decks like Finn or Mira, for example. 
and then has a plus one auto when your opponent attacks switch this card to active mode so effectively not allowing you to plus on your own turn but with empower you should probably be at the markers to use his ultimate anyways but it does mean he's effectively a dual blocker which is super cool you could block and then the auto timing procs and then you can resend him block again or you could swing with him twice with his dual attacker and then get the block trigger afterwards but finally he has an activate main Allows them to be a finisher, which you would hope for a unison SCR minus four. Choose all your opponent's battle cards in rest mode, ignoring barrier and KO them. Then choose up to two of your opponent's cards and switch them to rest mode. And then the card gets 15k and double striker, meaning that offensively he is a 40k dual attacking double striker. There's a lot of text. <laughs> How do you feel about it? I will instantly play this card the moment they ban every other relevant secret rare in the game. <laughs> um i don't all right so unison secret rares are already kind of already going to be odd okay your secret or your unison normally is supposed to sit on the board and provide value the longer the game goes on so generally you want a unison that you're going to be playing early in the game who's just going to sit there and you know kind of do the thing um, so a unison finisher is always going to be a little weirder just because of the fact that, like, I don't know, like, in card design, Banner doesn't like making secret rares that just end the game the moment they come down. And unisons are already not uninteractable, but they're harder to interact with than a lot of other cards. So they generally have stipulations on to how strong they are. So when you make an SCR unison, you know you're going to get a card that can end the game, and you're going to get a card that's fairly tame in effect due to it not being interacted with the same way as battle cards. Therefore, <laughs> I just it's hard for me to get on board with a unison secret just because I feel like design-wise, they're kind of pigeonholed in a certain realm of power. Um, and then in to on top of this one, when I look at him, it's like he doesn't necessarily win the game. Um, he's He can be defensive. That's cool. Um, I just don't see myself playing this over necessarily Kai or Pan. Let me let me just just to make sure, just to make sure I'm not tripping, tripping. Let me just peep at this thing one more time before I just like relegate it to the shadow realm. It's like I mean it's fine, right? Like at least they made it playable with the black decks also. I mean, I don't know who's playing Mira, but at least you're playing Finn. It gives you an alternative option. Like I don't hate it. But like, this is fair. It, it 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 feels like red go tanks to me. Where it's like, yeah, you can run it, um, but like when we're talking about versus like Kai or versus Pan, like those generic options that are just so much more tempo oriented, um, I think end up working out better. Like you said, they don't really print finisher SCRs anymore, and it always feels like these unison SCRs they print are trying to be finishers, but they're honed in in a way that kind of ends up them being like fine, if anything. Yeah, um, you. Yeah, uh, I'm just I'm, I'm looking at it again. Yeah, you're playing four, and it 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 literally okay. Luckily, it doesn't have that normal stipulation of I can't swing unless I have X amount of counters because that would be infuriating. But but you're you're playing this guy at for four energy, uh, and then he has in power three, so he's gonna go up to seven if your unison has three minus back down to three. I mean, he's definitely got longevity being a 25k unison, but uh, he's also blocker, so he's probably going to be taking a hit. And, I don't know, double a dual attack, double striker 
that's 4,000. That sounds really cool. Like that sells Zeno vibes, but we are in the realm of like yellow tap that crap down or so help me God dot deck. And I, I just, I just don't know. <laughs> like, you, you do get to rest to energy. Like that is a thing. That you can is do. true. Right. Cut them like, off that power of the super Sam. Yeah. Like that's the thing, right? That's the thing with this unison. I feel like it's better than go tanks because like, yeah, it, it feels like you, you are definitely going to tap out for this thing. Usually if, if, or you could go to five and then have one, one up, like that's fine too. Um, but this one does a better job of mitigating what your opponent can do as a response to it because you get to rest two energy because um, you get to clear out their board. Whereas with Gotenks, like Gotenks did like a board wipe and that was pretty much it, which meant like if your opponent had a negate, then that was it and the game was over. But also, if it was true for Gotenks, it's especially going to be true for Mira. Um, it is really, I have never seen someone get rid of my Unison SCR when it was on board when I was playing Gotenks. That's fair. So like, that's fair. so this thing will stick, but the, but, so like it's not so much I think the quality of the card so much as I just think it's the opportunity cost. Like you draw this early, you're basically stuck to not being able to play your SCR until turn four, turn five. Whereas you know Pan, you could play turn two, turn three. Uh, Kai, you could play turn two, turn three and board wipe your opponent. And then like on your opponent's turn, which would give you the opening to be able to go like you know a full throttle on them. So I think this card isn't so much like it's not a bad card. I actually kind of like it. I think it actually does a lot. I think you know between resting, between clearing your opponent's board. And being a threat that also is defensive afterwards, so you're not, like, left defenses down. Like, it does a lot. It's just more so, the like you said at the beginning of when we talked about the card, like, it's just the opportunity cost. Right? I'm not going to run this over the other SCRs I could nine times out of ten just because those are better for my tempo. They're more cost efficient, yada, yada, yada. But it's not actually a bad card. All right. I, I, can, I, can, I can back up on that one. I can back up on that one. I feel you. Yeah. So, like, so that's it. Like, it's an okay card. It'll do fine. Um... But now that we have two SCRs revealed, uh, we only have one more until we know what the God Secret Rare is. Because you guys don't know, in this set specifically, they're introducing a God Rare. They've done it with Digimon uh, previously, where basically, I think the ratio for the Ghost Omnimon that they released in Digimon uh, was 1 in 24 cases. So, extremely high rarity card, um, if the ratios are even the same for Dragon Ball. Uh, and whereas previously I'm fairly certain I saw on the product page it said SR and I stand by that unless my memory is really that bad um, from the release of the trailer it is a secret rare so our options at the moment are Super Mira or Universe 7 Vegeta and so, uh, and so unless we get a Goku secret rare as our third one like maybe a green one to go with the green archetype or something unless we get a goku secret rare there is no way in hell that that god rare is not going to be vegeta which i'm super hyped about don't get me wrong because like because here's because here's the thing the first god rare it's a marketing thing right like you like you get people talking hype about your game like oh sick we just got a god rare you know it's this one in 24 it's extremely rare they just did it with digimon and then when people ask you like oh sick what's the character there ain't no way in hell the first fucking god rare is gonna be super mira <laughs> All right, like, like there's just no way in hell you throw away the marketing ability of your first god rare to be a character that like nine out of ten dragon ball fans don't know about all right you ready you ready because i'm about to i'm about to drop some spice on your, uh, uh, on yeah, your podcast. yeah yeah all right go spice of the likes that have only been murmured within the uh shadows of my discord or personal chats so here we go all right we have one more secret rare left we have had a yellow and a red SCR. Yeah. 
Now, something I found interesting was uh, I was before they showed us Vegeta, I was not sure whether or not we were going to get another red SER, U7 SER, actually, because we had just gotten one two sets ago. I was like, they can bring, you know, and ironically, I literally said, I think two sets ago when I was doing predictions, there's no way you introduce U7 as a color and don't give it an SER because of its like just its its presence and hype. And then this time I was like, are they really just going to do two sets? Well, two sets over the course of three with red SCRs for U7. And they did. They straight up did. I'll bet this one's uh, a lot better. But my thing is this Goku, they gave Goku an ability to bring back the SR or the SCR just so that if you mill it, you are going to still have a way to use it. Now, Trunks, he is a focal point for this like set. He was a highly anticipated character. Um, he is the poster boy of Dragon Ball Heroes. And Dragon Ball Heroes 20th anniversary just went by. Like, Doken just got Super Saiyan God Trunks as a character. We're getting Super Saiyan God Trunks in this next set. And that Trunks throws cards into the warp off the top of your deck. So I've been thinking that it is very likely that we get a Super Saiyan God Trunks SCR that can be played from the warp or hand. Or just warp, because that way you can have an SCR that is cohesively with your deck, just like the U7 did. At the same time, there's this like chrono key, which is like this super weird white sword that Trunks has that's attached to his hand. And it's what he used to like completely dust Mechagabora. Unless they decide to randomly throw that on his SPR, there's no representation of his like ultimate weapon. And it went hand in hand with his god form. He got Super Saiyan God. He was able to activate the Chrono Key and then destroy Mechagabora. So I think it would not be a far off prediction to think that we could get a black SER Super Saiyan God Trunks that has the Chrono Key played from the warp. And that could also be our god rare. Okay. I, I like the spec. I think it's solid, especially given that I do think God Trunks actually got not enough representation as said, given that his Hallmark, like, like his uh, first appearance and like the sets very heavily based around him, especially since like everything that has to do with the mirrors and all that kind of stuff, like he's very much at the heart of it all. So as his first showcase, I do think we haven't seen enough of him. So like, fair enough. But like, so then if it was between Universe 7 Vegeta and Keyblade God Trunks, uh, you know, which one you think is uh, getting the spot? I don't know which one do they let ass pull every time he steps on the screen and which one do they keep shafting every time they step on the screen. It's uh, I think okay. it's pretty clear. History <laughs> <laughs> shall repeat itself once again. <laughs> uh, but nevertheless, I mean I, I, at this point I'm just kind of at this point I'm just kind of wondering how they're gonna showcase it, right? Because like they've been very thematic or thematic. They've just been very timely so far, where we got one SCR at Christmas, we got one SCR at New Year's. So either you're doing them five days apart, or I've maybe they'll do it on a direct. I guess, um, I don't know. Hear, hear me out. Yeah. If you look at your Discord chat, tell me what I just sent you would not look amazing on an SCR, and tell me that they could not hype that up even further with a higher rarity. This is a pretty nice sword he's got over there. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm saying like that is a. Uh, they can make the entire thing just white and blue with the only color being his red hair, eyes, and eyebrows. And it would just look like a crazy looking card. 
I will so say. So I'm just kind of like, hmm. Yeah, if they're basing it anything similar to how they did Ghost Omni, then I will say God Trunks with this Keyblade 100% works like extremely well. Like the red and the blue, and then you do the rest with white, kind of like how Omni. Yeah, that would look in super clean. 100%. It's just Omnimon with red hair. <laughs> <laughs> the third yeah, you... speaker rare is Omnimon in this game. There we go. Hold up. Yeah, there you go. You got Key Blast from one arm. You got to start on the other. It's basically Omni. <laughs> that makes sense. It definitely makes sense. I love when we were all joking about it, like the, the guest star cameo. <laughs> it's just uh, like, it's just Omnimon. It's just I'm not, Omnimon. I'm, honestly, I thought that was hilarious. I thought that was so funny. Like, yo, I'd be down with Omnimon. Yeah, bro. Like, actually not bad. <laughs> God, and then some people were like speaking on like Naruto and stuff like that, and I was like, it was kind of it was kind of tough because like I had seen Pan by then already, um, so like when everyone was guessing on the stream as to what like she was gonna be, what the guest that she was gonna be, I was just like, yo shit, maybe it is Omnimon because. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, but we, we heard guest and we thought it was guest, you know? Like, yeah, well, that's that's actually what I learned, actually. When I talked to I learned about Bandai afterwards. It actually turns out anytime we pull from heroes, it's a guest character. Um, Which is, that makes a lot of sense. It's uh, actually, to be honest, it's why we don't have Super Saiyan 4 Gogeta. Yeah. yeah. I don't know yeah. why, <laughs> but we can have, we can have <laughs> Mira. We can have Mira Finn, but we can't have Monkey Finn. Yeah, it, it's it's weird. The The world of licensing is incredibly complicated, <laughs> in my opinion, and leads to a lot of things that I feel like, even though they do make sense, like, in the back room, and, and like, I'm sure Bandai tries their best to make everything work out, so, like, all the power to them. But, uh, yeah, so, it was just a little jarring, considering that, like, it feels like that every, a third of the set now are guest characters, <laughs> as far as our game is concerned. And it's just, like, we've been having guest characters in our game, that means, for, like, two years at this point. <laughs> It's really rough so, because we've been in a lull. Like, Super's been over for a bit. And so outside of the movies coming out, it's really hard for them to pull new characters. They have to keep recycling. But then you have Dragon Ball Heroes, which just has a plethora of unused assets that can just be finely utilized. And it, Like, I get why it's happening. It's mm -hmm. just, um, I want to be out of the Unison Warrior block. Same. I'm, like, <laughs> like, like, here's the thing. I, I get why they're doing it there like you said there's a ton of assets and that's a massive aspect of creating a card game it's just like what assets we have available to make cards with so like fair and i understand that heroes is a massive pool that exists that for what it's worth only really exists in japan so there's no harm no foul in making the rest of the world play with the same art in a different card game but like and i've been saying this for like two sets now i am so done with unison warrior like it like it just it feel not only from a meta perspective does everything feel samey for like the last few sets but like just the set thematics itself are all so incredibly samey that it's just like, oh my God, I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm a little tired of it. And I'd, I'd, I'd look forward to us like maybe moving on to something else. And I mean, for what it's worth, the movie should give us, you know, into that. And like, hopefully after the movie, if the anime comes out too, it, it'd work really well marketing wise. We can tie in sets with the release of the anime. I think that'd be super cool, but. Oh dude, it would be amazing. Like, like let's just say we give the Moro arc and uh, starting being animated. And then we also get the movie in April. Like we could see, actually, I mean, to be fair, that means that like we could see, I, I think I would hope they don't do like a theme booster. I would like it if, you know, since we're getting the movie in April, we get this set. Actually, wow, that lines up perfectly. We get the next set in March. Uh, give it three months for what? Two, three months for the next set to come out. 
count of three ish, and yeah. that puts us that puts us a little later. So that uh that that would actually be perfect. Like the set after the next set should have movie cards in it. Uh, if we look at kind of the scope for any of the uh, any of the kind of blue cards, so that or not the blue cards, the Dragon Ball Z Super Broly cards. So that was that would actually be pretty cool. And then if uh, if the Moro art came out later, we could see like maybe the last set of the year, second to last set of the year, coming out with Moro cards mixed in with some other archetypes. So I feel like there's a lot. There's a lot we can do here. I yeah. think they're kind of on pace as long as Dragon Ball Super comes back within the next calendar year. Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, something to freshen up. If not, it's like, honestly, if not, then it'll probably just end up being universe war- like, Universal Warrior block for the next calendar year, TBH. Um, like, we, we already know that they already have the set planned in terms of, like, what supports, and it's going to be Universal Warrior again after this one. So, who knows? We'll see. But, like like you said, things line up well. So, hopefully, you know, there's been no announcements about Dragon Ball coming back, and usually those happen about a year out. So, maybe going into the next year, but... Um, a lot on the table, at least, at least, you know, for what it's worth, at least we know the story is going somewhere. And if at any point in time decide to pull the trigger on like the anime following through, at least they have material to last themselves, you know, a couple of seasons. And then at least that'll push the, push new content towards the game for a little while beyond that. Yeah. Dragon Ball IP just don't die. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the show was off air for like what, 20 years. And that shit was still like one of the best IPs in the world. For real. We we were like, I wonder what happens next. The show's been done for like eight years in Japan. Alright, that's true, that's true. Alright. Well, moving on from the SCR, uh the black archetype that we got unveiled. Um obviously we got Super Saiyan God Trunks previously, um, but the other archetype is actually Deborah. Um, an archetype that I personally am not too excited about, but there are some key black cards that the archetype presented that I think are exciting for the colors as a whole. So we have Deborah, uh, Otto, when this card attacks, you have to look at the top five cards. You either get, a, you know, anything from the Demon One race, so Demon God, Evil Wizard, Demon Rel, you know, all the Mecha Copper cards. Um, you have to pick one and then shuffle your deck, and then you can awaken either at four life or when your opponent is awakened, which is kind of cool. Uh, you draw two, but like, ish, because you draw two cards and then you go down to four life no matter what. So like, it's an alt awakened, but like, Regardless, you're going down to four life, which is fine. It's not the end of the world. You get a lot of cards in hand. And then on the Awakened side, we have Demon God Deborah, Diabolical Awakening with uh, Otto. When he swings, you draw one. Activate main once per turn for one specified black. Play up to one black unison card with no specified cost. And 20k power from your drop with a marker on it in rest mode. At the end of the turn, send that card to warp. Bro, I didn't even read that part before. Bro, that is so butt. Oh my god. <laughs> Bro, oh my god. I was I mean, just letting you go through <laughs> I was like, uh-huh. Bro, I didn't even realize that the first time around. My god. Okay, fine. Um, and then activate battle once per turn to get the spirit boost one and then kill your own Debor- like your kill your own Mechie, I guess. And then um he gets 6k for the battle. Um yo, this leader is ass, bro. <laughs> the leader is beyond trash. <laughs> like, 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 that leader is actual unadulterated aids bro like it is the more i think about it the more mad i get it's just uh, it's it's rough man it's it's actually rough 
Yeah, I'm not I'm not a big fan, but like so here's the thing, it's a, so the the unison it synergizes with, I guess so that you know our listeners get like the full picture is that there's a new SR black unison, Dark King Macabre Might Inconceivable. So he is a 20k no specified cost unison that has uh, the stipulation that he can't attack if he has three or fewer markers. He has empower black 2, which does means that he'll gain additional markers if uh, there's already a unison on board. Uh, with an auto once per turn, when you play a black demon realm race card using swap, you get to choose one of your opponent's battle cards when you cost a three or less and send it to warp. I actually don't mind that. It's a pretty good effect. If you're just going to be swapping anyways, it gives you benefits. With the activate main plus one, you get to choose one card in your hand and place that at the bottom of your deck drawing. So, I mean, even then, he's so mediocre. But effectively, that's what this archetype does. And actually, the, the one thing I will say that's really interesting about this archetype is that it's a wide swap strategy, not a tall swap. So with swap, we've always seen ourselves go from, you know, Goku lineage card to Goku lineage card to Goku lineage card to another boss monster. We need Broly swap, it was the same thing. We go from one Broly to another to get to a big boss monster. With the Deborah archetype and the Demon God, uh, Demon God stuff, it's all go wide. So they only swap one level up, um, but there's multiple cards that swap. So you have Toa that swaps into Toa. Um, you have uh, Poutine that swaps into Poutine, so on and so forth. So I think that's kind of a cool idea. But like, again, I don't think this unison's worth it, especially since you're just going to lose it at the end of your turn anyways. Um, you're paying an energy to play it, and then it doesn't even get to attack because it doesn't have enough markers. <laughs> and then you plus one to cycle a card out of your hand. <laughs> When I say this card is ass chicos, man, it is, uh, <sighs> yeah. <laughs> so there's just not a lot to say there, but leader and unison aside, I will say the art's pretty cool. I actually really like the art on Dark King Macabre. And actually something to look forward to is that we have more SPRs now. They toned down the amount of SRs in the set and bumped up the number of SPRs. So, you know, some of these cool cards will hopefully look even cooler if the SRs already look this good. But the benefit of this black archetype is the fact that it actually gave us a decent amount of black SRs as well as a couple of commons, actually, surprisingly enough, um, that really boost stuff that already exists. So kicking us off, we have Demon God Toa Umbral Might. Three cost, 15k dual attacker that EX evolves on a toe and energy cost of two or less for a specified black and one. And that has the auto that when this card is played from your hand, you get to draw one card. Then your opponent may choose up to two of their battle cards and or cards in their hand and send them to the warp. If they don't or send one or fewer, you get to choose one of their unison cards with four or more markers and gain control of it. So generally speaking, you get to swipe your opponent's unison if they happen to not have... Um, uh, two cards to throw away, but it's only unisons with four or more markers <laughs> yeah. for, some, for some reason. So this this one's not incredibly good, but I mean, hey, the biggest thing I think for this one shows is that, okay, they're willing to give us more um, more unison interaction. And I think that's what we'll see, right? Zamasu, uh, when it was first printed, obviously got eroded, but was just showcasing that, you know, they're, they're, we're finally getting to a point where we're ready to dabble with like hard removal for unisons. And this just kind of goes down that rabbit hole of giving us more ways to deal with them ish <laughs> yeah i mean yeah mm, our taste both don't but uh <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 pretty much and i mean for what it's worth all of these srs um the toa and the poutine though these are the bodies that the the they get swapped into so there is so that i mean so when i first saw swap i was like swap yay and then my brain was like wait is this goku's lineage on release swap this is or is this like and that, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was Goku's lineage on release swap more than it was uh, necessarily Burly BR on release. Yeah, oh. pretty much. It's like a bit more utility based than OG lineage, but about as playable as OG lineage. So like, not really. 
Um, the duality of man. <laughs> uh, to round out, we have uh, Demon God Poutine, Umbral Might, 3 cost 15k blocker, Dark Overrealm 3 for 1 of any color, which is cool. Auto, when this card's played, you get to play a Demon Realm Soldier token, which is a 5k with 5k combo. And then activate battle. Once per turn, you get to choose one of your tokens and remove it from the game. It has to be a Demon Realm token. And then you get to draw a card and then switch the card to active mode and it gains 10k for the battle. So basically turning Poutine into a double blocker. It's actually not bad. It's pretty good value. Um, Dark Overrealm for one isn't bad. I don't know if you're going to be sacrificing Overrealm to be able to do this. Um, but some decks will actually utilize this. Like I, I could see some decks wanting to run a couple of these. I mean, I mean. <laughs> like you know, I mean, not, not 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 the black decks are seeing play right now, but like black decks that don't see play. <laughs> I, mean, no, I mean, it's kind of so it's weird for me because a black is a very polarizing color. Like very, I mean, it often happens in this game where they'll release a color, and you'll clearly be able to pick the better archetype. But I hate when we get the the heavy splits, like the Broly BR Gogeta BR splits, and I feel like black this time is like that this yeah set. yeah like oddly enough this is the archetype that got three srs some of these archetypes feeling like old school invoker by the way having three four srs per archetype it feels wild to me like the, the, this, the, the sr distribution is insane <laughs> but for what it's worth not all srs are printed equally and like you said like these two archetypes feel completely night and day like this feels like another like for fun deck whereas like even though trunks i will say is supplemented by the fact that Black is just strong already out of the box. So, like, adding a pretty good leader to, like, a really good set of cards really doesn't change all that much. But, like, yeah. but the the Trunks stuff plays infinitely better than, like, this Demon God stuff, for sure. It hurts. Um, now, oddly enough, I think the most exciting cards out of Black are two commons, actually. Uh, so first off, we have Finn, Evolutionary Premonition, which is a two-cost, two-specified black, 5k Finn with Deflect Barrier when it's played to get the draw card, and then activate main once per turn, you get Spirit Boost to one with a black unison card with Swiss card cost two or more, and if you have four or more energy, you get to choose one black Finn card with an energy cost of eight in your hand and play it on top of this card, effectively giving the, the Finn deck a way more suitable way to actually get into their boss monster. I think this card's super solid for the deck in terms of like supporting, not that Finn was all that playable and Finn already kind of lives in that realm of like anti-meta deck just because of how focused it is on your opponent having board presence. But nevertheless, I mean, this is a great way to add support to an archetype without like having to print like a million cards for it. See, yes, I definitely agree with you there, but I also remember looking over was it not Cross Spirits, but Sand Showdown, and feeling that the Finn archetype was like three cards too short to be called an archetype. So I'm happy they're giving it support now, but I kind of feel like there was no reason why Finn shouldn't have had like three more, like two more battle cards and like an extra or something. Like it was just so weird. Like you can max out on every Finn card that they put in there and you'd still be short 20 cards. Like... Not not counting super combos and normal negates, but I am happy. This this card is good. I just don't know why it wasn't released with the last set. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Nitpick. Yeah, I I because like what was printed last set for black? Um, we got Finn, and like we didn't get a second black archetype, right? It was something like that. Um, it was just Finn, and Finn got his leader card. Uh, he got his SR, which nuked the field. He got the Unison Sucker. 
He got the big quote unquote boss card that was not an SR, and then he got like a Toa and a Dabora. Yeah. And then a, a, a counter card that like sucked up stuff or something. But like, what did we get instead of the black cards? Right? Because that's a lot of black cards that don't exist. Um, last. Set. I guess I guess all the other colors just kind of got a bit more support. They got. It more might. Cards. It might have been. It might have yeah, been. Yeah. No, I, I don't know. It. We're taking it. We're taking it. I, I have a. Because I'm always doing research, my guys. I almost always have the card. <laughs> Multiple tabs, in fact. I'm just always looking at this crap. So, let's go to Sand Showdown and see. Yeah, because I do remember that Finn was basically standalone. But, like, I can't remember what the... Well, I mean, if anything, that just goes to show about the memorability of Sand Showdown as a set. But... <laughs> uh, I mean, you're not wrong. See, okay, so it had the same amount of cards because literally... But I'm looking at Cross Spirits and Santa Showdown. They both have nine tabs. But you're looking at because Black had them. Ah, that's that's that looks so funky. I'm sorry. I'm looking at this right now, and Black has barely. Oh, it's because Black continued the uh, the Shadow. Right. Xeno okay. Shadow. Yeah. Yeah. So they got Shadow Dragon support. That's it. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Just a bunch of Shadow Dragons cards, and then like ten ten cards. Right. Okay. Yeah. So that what it was. Basically, Finn got like shafted just by them having to wrap up the Shadow Dragon stuff. Okay, that makes yeah, sense. I'm I'm counting this right now. Hold on. A leader card, a Unison, a Debora, a Debora that wasn't really cool to play, a Toa, another Toa, and then you have Finn the All Absorbing. That is seven. Oh, okay. And the SR. They got eight cards. Literally, Finn got eight cards. Yeah. So what's that? Eight times four. That's what forty-eight or something like that. Am I just bad yeah. at math? Yeah. No, so no, uh, no, that's eight. Yeah, they just have eight cards. And then yeah. what, sorry, what was the last part? <laughs> well, I was, I was just wondering if I was better. <laughs> but basically, yeah, you, could, you could max out every single card and not have like a proper deck. <laughs> Correct. Correct. Yikes. Um, so yeah, so I mean, good for the Finn players, you know, all two of you. I'm sure you're very excited about the card being released, and I hope you guys do. <laughs> and I hope you guys uh, enjoy the support. I think it's a nice piece for, uh, you know, it's a nice bone to be tossed. Um, but funny enough, the most exciting card that came out for Black in this set, I think, is a common. It is support of the Dark Empire, and now Black finally has its reinforcement negate. I know this is probably the most exciting because. Compared to every other black SR, which gets about 15 to 20 likes on the official Facebook posts, this one, the morning I woke up, had 70 likes and reactions to it. <laughs> my only qualm is that my beautiful baby gorilla boy, D-Bro, did not live long enough to see the day where he could have a free blocker. <laughs> oh, my guy. My guy, he would have loved this. If uh, Zeno Harambe was still with us this day, he would have loved this. Yeah, but so for the guys who Uh-huh, uh-huh. I was just going to say, I believe we all just owe it to our beautiful Harry boy to um play this card in his absence uh, as much as possible. Absolutely. So for the guys who don't know the reinforcement style uh, negate cards, basically if you had five life or less, you can take a life instead of paying their costs. Um, it negates the attack, and then it'll play a 5k blocker. Some of them have combo power, some of them don't. This one actually has combo power, which means that if you don't end up using the blocker, actually, then you just have free combo in your next turn, which is really super solid. So every color got one except for black, because black has a tendency of being a second-class citizen in a lot of ways. 
Which, like, I kind of get. Like, at first, it wasn't. I demonetized the podcast. Why are you going to clip that? <laughs> but it's true. You guys don't uh, even, like like black decks. Don't even have like the free unison counterplay. Facts. <laughs> uh, yeah. So like, it's it's nice to see them. You know, mind you, a couple sets late, but um, bring black up to speed in terms of what the other colors get as far as like card cycles go because usually card cycles are every color but black and then black gets like something weird so kind of bringing it in line which i kind of get you know black didn't start its own official color it then became its own official color but black was the color that kind of did everything it, but like in a weird way which meant that like you know it does hand destruction but hand destruction to like warp and it does board destruction but like it to warp and all that kind of stuff so um so i understand why they feel a little bit like not as tempted to print uh, cycles across all the colors because of the way black generally works. But I think we're at a point now where um, black definitely deserves to be part of cycles like these. And the fact that I got the card means that we're taking a step in the right direction. I agree with that. Um, it's like, but yeah, like just, I agree with literally everything you just said because just with black's color identity, um, shameless plug, go watch that video. I'm going to put them in the playlist. <laughs> I think it's actually really but just looking at black's color identity, they have access to so many powerful effects for so, you know, much less cost than other colors would. But in exchange for that, they just hop on the board and they get their job done and they generally hop off the board or they don't have many forms of protection, not lots of barriers, sometimes deflect just to run it and gun it. So you always kind of have to play carefully from a design point, just thinking about how you make defense for black. Because the moment Black's defense gets too strong, they now have the cheapest, most ferocious offense. And on top of that, they cannot be easily killed. So you always have to be kind of ready for that. So that is kind of why they don't have free unison counterplays. I mean, crap, the deck is mostly free. You are playing secret identities for free. You're playing things like Mira and Champa. You're Like Mira and Champa is swinging for over 100,000 double strike for two energy like you have some of the stupidest plays for cheap provided they don't stay for a second chance to gut your opponent so you got to be sure about how you give them defense but i am glad we finally got to the point where we deserve a free blocker combo too yeah i mean like you were saying right like imagine if this was around with dark broly like bro <laughs> <laughs> uh, um but yeah, those were the black cards. Those were the most impactful ones. Those were the SRs plus the couple of commons that like felt like a good shakeup to the color. Um, and then we got the green reveals. Um, and then the biggest thing with this, I'll say it off the bat, is that once again, green, and I don't know why they keep doing this to green, man. Although I will say this is like infinitely more playable than the green stuff we got before. But again, green got stuck as being the like huge thematic color. So every single card in the archetype is based around the theme more so than the playability of the card game. <laughs> Kicking us off with like Beerus and Champa and their battle um, on the Nameless Planet to see which universe gets to use the Super Dragon Balls. I mean, <laughs> bro. <laughs> um, I guess just to... <laughs> yeah. So just to kick us off, I guess. I'll read the leaders and then we can talk about it a little and then we'll talk about the rest of the cards. So we got Beerus, which is a 15k unawakened leader, which is huge. 
Until you read the first line of text that says permanent, you start the game with four life. <laughs> Yo. <sighs> Activate main, switch this card to rest mode, draw a card. Additionally, if you have no battle cards in play, choose up to one green universe seven card, and it cost a two or less in your hand and play. And, you know, the more we start to see the universe seven, uh, two cost or less, like, it's actually not bad. Like, it, it starts off your tempo pretty good. Awaken when your life is at three or less, so when you take a singular point of damage, you now get to awaken by drawing two cards, switching one energy active mode, and then flipping the card over, at which point we have Beerus victory at all costs. A 20k awakened leader with the auto that when he attacks you get to draw a card and then again if you don't have a battle card in play you get to play universe seven with two or less and the auto once returned spirit boost for one when one of your battle cards attacks and kills an opponent's battle card which is the entire point of the deck it combos with the field card we'll see we'll talk about in a moment your opponent chooses one card in their hand and discards it now there's a lot of reflection points between uh beers and champa um in terms of like if Beerus does something, Chompa probably does it, but they get like a different result. So Beerus uh, leans on a lot of hand destruction stuff, whereas Chompa leans on a lot of tempo. So he gets to like restand. If we look at Chompa, it's basically the same thing, except instead of universe six, you sub out universe seven. Um, so he rest modes to draw a card and then you get to play universe six. Um, the difference are life totals. He starts with five life. And that again is thematic. Uh, Beerus brought four legitimate fighters to the tournament. Chompa brought five, which is kind of the, the idea there. And then Chompa awakens at two life. Uh, which is, dude, that is a heavy awakening. As someone who plays Red Yellow Baby, I'll tell you right now. But you get to draw three <laughs> cards and then switch one energy to active mode. And then on his uh, awakened side, again, 20k, victory at all cost, Champa. Uh, same thing, swing, play a six drop, draw a card. Um, the difference being that if your if your card KOs a card and you spirit boost, um, he uh, the chosen card gets to restand. So you get more tempo. Um, but yeah, uh, I... <laughs> You think, uh, do you think <laughs> being a 15k and a 20k with the archetype the way it is warrants you starting at four and five life respectively, my good sir? <laughs> okay, so here's the thing. Um, again, we already talked about this thematic, like-ish, like the game, like the creators like to be thematic. And I actually had an entire conversation. Maybe I'll make this into a video or another topic point. Maybe I'll make a video with George on it on my channel talking hey. about... The design things you know we'll talk about that after this talk but the point is this is highly thematic these are god cards and gods don't need to transform they just start off brawling and if they need to kick it into a higher gear because they feel like you're stronger than that they just simply start fighting a little harder they don't transform so that's why they start off at 15 they have access to their super combos they're not they're not digging into greater depths they're just like oh okay i guess i need to beat his ass a little harder then and that's kind of cool, but it's kind of weird. There's a lot of small semantics that go into this sort of thing. One, people do note that you're starting off at four life, but you're also starting off at 15K. So all those little pokes that happen at the beginning of the game, oh, I played a, a 10K for an energy and it had a come into play effect, and I'm going to send it sideways because it's neutral. You either bleed a card or you go down on life. Okay, I'm going to swing with my leader, and he's at 10 so you're going to bleed a card or go on in life. I was going to swing regardless. These things don't affect these leaders. Because unless you're willing to put a card into it yourself, which you're generally not that early into the game, you're going 5k less than this leader starts at. And even if you were to go in for a swing that you could do on turn one or turn two, you're swinging with a 10k, maybe a 15k. And if you want to try to push it into their life, what happens when they just drop a super combo on you on turn one and you're like, oh, that's all. Yep. That seems stupid. And then you get <laughs> swung on. 
buy a random card that they played for free. And then after you get swung on and your creature dies because they can probably put more combo power behind it than you can, like, and then they tap an energy and they play a Super Saiyan Kaioken blue Goku, like, and swing into, like, it's weird. It definitely is going to warrant testing. I'm going to see tomorrow morning spoilers and then do my green video. But the the starting off at four life and starting off at 15k and then flipping to 20k, it definitely changes the math a lot. And I don't think people are giving that enough credit. They see the four life and they get scared. And there is a valid point to be scared because that's two chompa swings with combo power behind it. But at the same point, decks do have negates. Now, granted, green is the king of having a negate that stops you from going wide, but not from going tall. But at the same time, there are negates. And there are cards they can be using, and there can be blockers. But at the, the the main thing I'm saying is, when this card flips, it's a 20k. How would you like to swing on a blue leader that's always censored? It would change up your math to a high degree. Cards that would normally force your opponent to go super combo plus 5k now are just super combos. And there's still cards we have yet to see. The deck could get some free blockers. I think the deck already might have gotten a blocker or two. So there's just things I think that aren't being taken into consideration. We have seen a hit SR, right? Mm-hmm. But what we haven't seen are, I haven't seen a Frost, a Kaba, I haven't even seen a Boda, a Magetta. There are still cards that Chompa needs to be able to drop. And on our side for Piccolo, you know, you've got, or for uh, Beerus, you've got, uh, you know, the Goku and Vegeta SRs, but now you've also got Goku and Vegeta two drops. Well, I think Goku three drop and a Vegeta two drop. You got a Majin Buu two drop. You've got a uh, you, you just got cards that are coming in, and so I kind of just feel like it's not necessarily fair quite yet until we see tomorrow's reveals. But even past that, the first two to three turns of the game, these leaders should be swinging and defending way above optimal levels, just because of their base power and the fact that they have access to cards at lower life like super combos. So I think that it definitely changes the dynamic of how this works. And if I'm not mistaken, you swing and you cheat a card in. These cards can do things when they're KO'd. When they do KO other cards, you're able to bring in stronger cards. I just think that it's a little too early to immediately get scared about the four life. Let's just see how the format goes. Especially seeing as that if you face aggro like black or red, it could seem a lot scarier. But there are a lot of mid-range decks in the format right now. Like Gogeta Zeno, this new Trunks deck, um you have like red and all of its incarnations right now can be pretty aggro-y but if you ever take this deck into a mid-range control format and you're just swinging for 15k you're gonna probably bully some things pretty hard at first but i also don't see how the deck gains hand advantage so you probably won't body icarus out of the uh, advantage game so i don't know there's so many factors i'm ready to dive into it though sorry for being so long-winded yeah, no, nah, I mean, you know, go in. like, I, And I think that's why I, I personally like Beerus more. Because like you said, like, you're not really out-advantaging your opponent because you don't have life that go to hand in any specific way. So, like, I like that Beerus is kind of based around a little bit of hand destruction. Like, the, the incidental hand destruction kind of helps kind of balance out the fact that you are playing a disadvantaged game and not being able to have as many cards as your opponent. Um, but I think the benefit with these leaders also that I think people aren't exploring enough is that everyone's thinking mono green because everyone's thinking the nameless planet strategy. But I think you could play these like multi like like you said like you're basically a beaned leader on your awakened side. Now what if you were playing blue green, and then you just literally bean down down on top of that, and now you're just twenty five k base with one bean. You know, like it's it's actually an absurd number. Um, so 
Uh, I think there's a lot of room to explore. Um, I think, like you said, it's normal to be scared. Um, but I think people are tunnel visioning a little bit too much and don't, you know, maybe see it for what it could be. I'm still, no, I'm not gonna lie, like, I, I, I like playing Devil's Advocate in this way. I'm still actually a little bit um, uh, hands-offish on it. One, I'm not a green player, so it doesn't really matter to me. But two, I just... It still feels a little scuffed to me, especially when we're talking about Zeno Gogeta, who is swinging with like 20, 25 Ks on turn one. So like it's, but again, you know, super combos live on turn one kind of help mitigate that for sure. Um, but especially like you're saying in a mid-range format, um, you could run the Nameless Planet, which is a one cost field card. Now this one, you're actually gonna have to hard play, um, but there is like this and a battle card that plays it in your field directly. So you have eight cards in your deck if you really want to run it. Um, which I actually recommend playing that one drop because if not, it's kind of like a mini Broly Crown, which is kind of dope. Um, it's a barrier field card, so it's sticking around once it hits the board. Um, auto, once per turn, if your lead card is a green Beerus or green Chompa card, at the end of a battle where one of your green battle cards attacks and KOs an opponent's battle card, place that card under um, the field card from your opponent's drop area. Now, I, I, we also got confirmation from da uh, from Fash, which is basically the Bandai Head Judge, um, that... If you, the, the, the procs for the ability to activate is you need to have an attack card and the card needs to get KO'd. So if you have cards, and we'll see them in ESRs later, that attack into a card and then have an auto that say, like if you're attacking a battle card, KO that card, that will count towards this. Now that is once per turn, um, so which is relevant. Yeah, which is relevant because there is an activate main that there are five, um, if there are five cards owned by your opponent under this card, uh, you win the game. Um, so it means that there's an alt win con with the deck, but it's only live from turn six onwards, assuming that you got this down on turn one. Um, and then it also has an auto where uh, if your lead card is a green beer or Champa, you get to switch it to rest mode. And when your opponent attacks, uh, you get to choose one of your green battle cards in rest mode and make it swing that instead. So it's like extra defense on that front. Um, but it's an alt win con, which is kind of cool. It's very hard to get. But the fact that the ruling works the way it does, does make it easier. You know, I see people pulling out... Um, the uh, Bond Piccolo, again, that pops a card and draws a card on Activate Battle. That's something that works really well with the strategy. Among other they're things. Straight, they're straight up Goku in the set that just, like, does it. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, uh, I'm trying to see this right now. Where are you at, though? I think it's the three drop. It's, uh, oh, it's there, there's the four drop SR. Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to see these guys to see barrier, they're critical, yeah, whatever was cried out, blah 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 blah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um and for for what's notable, this uh as far as this archetype goes, uh Universe 7 is the one that got the three SRs. So if we're going to see um uh kind of like what they're doing with the other colors where one archetype gets three srs and the other one gets one then that means universe six is probably getting a singular sr as far as their side of things goes but the, the universe seven ones are super solid for beerus um you have ssb ko kensan goku might's calling uh four cost three specified green with double strike auto limit one for one green if your lead guard's green and this card is in your combo area when one of your green card but when one of your green battle card attacks and kills an opponent's battle card you get to play from combo area. so basically if you do what this deck's trying to do with the field card uh you combo with him and then you get to play him for one and for one you get a 20k double striker and then he has the auto that when he attacks you get to choose one of your opponent's battle cards and ko it which means again you would have an attack card and you ko a card so it would work towards the strategy just from the swing or your opponent chooses one card in their hand and discards it. I really like this aspect because it means that if your opponent's trying to play around you by not playing battle cards, then you punish them for basically just being a Zamasu. 
not as you know indestructible as the monster, but at least uh, within archetype, it forces your opponent to have to deal with you in one way or another. Yeah. I mean, this card, first off, uh, it's if it gets an SPR, it's going to be beautiful. Um, I already know, Kaliken, Super Sam Blue. Mm-hmm. Super Sam Blue Kaliken definitely needs a freaking SPR. But no, this card is great. It gets dropped for one. And it's just like, again, it, it triggers the rest of the archetype. As long as they don't remove this, and granted, being a four cost and being a 20k, there are many ways for this guy to go. But he also only comes out for one energy, and so I can't get mad at it. It's an easy-come, easy-go kind of card. Um, but the thing is, between win condition and the fact that these, you'll find that looking at this archetype, there's a whole lot of essential board control with a little hand control mixed in, too. Um, it's interesting. It's very interesting. But I'll, I'll just sit back and let you talk about this. Yeah, so, like, that's the thing. Uh, the, like we're saying, there's a Goku that does it. A Vegeta basically does the same thing. Um... Where at the end of battle, in which this card is using a combo from your hand, you play from your drop. Um, the difference here being that like there's no stipulation that you need to KO one of your opponent's battle cards, but he does cost two to combo, but he's a 10k and he's a dual attacker. And then auto once per turn, when he attacks, you get to KO an opponent's battle card. Your opponent uh, chooses one card in their hand and discards. So like you said again, board control mixed in with hand destruction, which kind of gives it fun. Like I like like in, in a mid-range format, you're basically forcing your opponent to have to deal with your board. Or if not, you're probably going to win the long game by being able to deal with their like one or two odd battle cards every single turn. So it's like kind of like a doer, do if you do, do, you know, do if you do, do if you don't. Um, and then finally to round it out, we have hit assassins strike. Um, which is the Universe 6 counterpart, um, which is really good. He's also generic. Any deck could actually play him, funny enough. So even the Universe 7 deck can play this one, <laughs> oddly enough. Um, again, 4 cost, 3 screen, barrier dual attack, auto, 2 green. If your leader card is green, your opponent has 2 or more energy. And this card's in your combo area. When on your green battle cards, attacks and kills an opponent's battle card, you get a play from your combo area. Then he has an auto limit one if this card's in rest mode. When your opponent attacks, they may choose 2 cards in their hand and discard them. If they don't, negate the attack and then your opponent can't attack for the rest of the turn. So basically, forcing your opponent into a uh, once per turn topo is like really gross. Um... And it's just a really good card. Again, the Universe 7 deck can run this, which kind of feels cheeky that it feels like, you know, the Universe 7 stuff definitely works better. Well, they can all technically work with the green deck, so I guess either green deck, so I guess it's fine. Um, but Hit is definitely the standout card here. I think it does probably the most. Then it would be Goku. Then it would be Vegeta. But these all work with any green leader for what it's worth. It doesn't necessarily have to be this archetype, which is kind of nice. I think adding more cards to the green card pool definitely helps across the board, especially with how green has felt the last couple of sets. So um these guys are good i think they help the archetype i think generically they're good and sun decks are really going to want to use hit um and even then i could see maybe sun decks depending on what they're trying to do maybe include uh goku um because like he's basically the um king piccolo right one cost 20k double striker mind you there's a little bit more work with this deck than there are other decks that make it work but um nevertheless it's cheap it's efficient and it does what it needs to do so i, th- I think i think card pool wise green is looking pretty okay um like you like we've said the leaders kind of looking, eh, you know, I think there's more to them than initially, you know, on both, on both sides. Um, I don't think we can overestimate them. I can't, I don't think we can underestimate them either. So I think, I think we're kind of just scoping out, you know, waiting out to see what the rest of the green pool is going to be with tomorrow's reveals. And then we'll see. It's, it'll be interesting. And if anything, I'm not a green player, but Beerus makes me maybe want to look into it just as 
an interesting way to build green. So I don't I don't know if this is what I don't I mean I'm fairly certain this is not what Green has been asking for for the last few sets. Um and I do still find it really funny that thematically it feels like Green's being punished for some reason, but nevertheless, I think there's more to it. So I I'm I'm looking forward to brewing at least. Yeah, like just it it's 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 interesting. I'm trying to I do want to see what we get tomorrow. I I did you look at the referee card? That card is infinitely helpful. Yeah, yeah. So that was the that was the card I was talking about. So for our listeners, it's a one cost that comes on board and has an activate main that sends itself to the drop. Um, and then you either get to play the field card from your deck, which is like super consistent. So you could have eight copies of the field card, or you could look at your opponent's hand and take a three cost or less and send it to the drop. That card's actually nuts. <laughs> Oh no, it's uh it's uh wait, like battle card injury cost of three and play it. And it's just like I wish it played it rested. I really wish it played it rested. Oh, because does it play it? Okay, then I missed it. Yeah, okay. but some of that stuff is funny though. Like, like just imagine that awkward moment where you're like, play this card, play put this guy in the grave to play your super combo. <laughs> then you just swing with Beerus at the leader and then play one of your dudes and then you're just like your super combo has no barrier it's at 5k and it's gonna get swung on now (laughs) you're just sitting there salty as shit because you just lost your super combo to some 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 BS phony combo yeah uh, I didn't even realize I thought it went to drop but Valerie is still kind of alright depending on the card like you said it deals with like super combos depending on the card I will say though what I feel like this archetype really needed but it's a little bit tough because this is definitely red's wheelhouse more than green is a way to attack actives I think that's I think that's what this deck really needed to be set itself apart from like a deck that might be tier 2.5 to something that could actually be like super viable well 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 have you seen today's spoilers uh, I know that we got a bunch of two drops that basically say, like, if you attack, like, non-barrier cards or whatever. Yeah, so, like, they can attack, as long as it doesn't have a barrier, they can attack it in active mode. Yeah. So, it's like, you will be able to start swinging on some things. I feel like I remember why I was thinking they put that barrier stipulation on there. But uh, I just kind of wish it wasn't on there, because screw cards like Poutine. Uh, well, I think it's specifically because of cards like Poutine or, like, the Silver Bullets. I, th- I think they kind of just don't want you to have, like, a like to punish you for playing bullets in your deck i think is what it is because they like all the good ones have barrier maybe that is fair (laughs) or but i'm thinking yeah hmm. we have we have pick we have goku and vegeta and piccolo and majin buu and monaka all situated here so i'm kind of wondering like if green gets a fourth sr i can't see it not being kava I, mean, like, I could see it. it I'd, I'd be down for a 2 2 split, right? Because from the feels of it, it feels like every color is getting like four SRs, give or take. Yeah. So, like, so I mean, I'm fine with we We have one for Universe 6 and then two for Universe 7. It'd be dope if Kaba showed up. That'd be kind of dope, yeah. And I don't know what Kaba would do, but I don't, I feel like it's impossible that Boda and Magetta, one of them is a blocker. One of them has to be a blocker. Mm hmm. I don't see it not being a blocker but the question is because they, they they both have to have two drops that come into play so we'll probably get some frost that impacts the board somehow maybe some more destruction uh i can see us getting a boda and magetta blocker uh now my question here though it's like this arena says when people attack let's see your blah blah your opponent 
When your opponent attacks, choose one of your green battle cards and rest of the same universe special tree. Switch target. Attack target. Oh, wait a second. Did we both miss that effect or am I just am I just blanking? I didn't realize the field card had that auto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the last thing I said. I kind of like yeah. dunked I, I kind of dunked it in. But yeah, basically you can force them to swing into something else. All right, that changes so much though. Like <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you're getting at this four life? This four life? Nah, last song of this is Debra. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well once once per turn you basically get a free negate, quote unquote, if you have like a battle card on board. Yeah, I was really hoping that maybe Revenge... Like, if Revenge could proc this, it would be so cute if maybe Beer... used to. The one. <laughs> it yeah, used to work that way. <laughs> one that's like, I'm going to block a bunch of shit, but you're going to get Revenge. And then they both added up to the total. But, uh, I mean, it's 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 too early to tell. We we still don't even have Chompa's cards. Chompa is missing at yeah. least... By this measurement, Chompa's missing... Like one, two, yeah, three, four, five battle cards minimum. Yeah. Um, we'll still get to see what's going on. Yep, yeah, exactly. And just to round out, like, the other Universe 7 stuff, like uh, Chris had already basically insinuated, um, there are three drops and two drops um, that have keywords like double strike and critical and all that. Um, and then they, they say that if your opponent has no battle cards, they get a buff. So, like, Goku gets 5k in critical. Um, Vegeta gains uh, double strike. Um, and then they can attack actives as long as they don't have barrier, which is kind of weird, but that's fine. Um, and then uh, for the two drops, if they get KO'd, um, which is kind of like, I think, what they're going for with the forcing your opponent to attack into it. So you're forcing your opponent to attack into the two drops, and then you can pay one to go into one of the three drops. So, um, so that's basically how you're forcing your opponent to have to force your opponent to interact with you, which is kind of nice. Like typically archetypes like these, why they've struggled is specifically because your opponent can always play around what your deck is trying to do. Um, Shuman Salsa, for example, is a deck that struggled around this because it was incredibly easy to play around what Shuman Salsa was trying to do. Um, so having, so like recognizing that and having the deck to force its strategy onto your opponent makes it hugely more viable. So the fact that you can force your opponent to attack into your battle cards, force them to KO them, and then force them to have to interact with what your deck's trying to do definitely helps out with the archetype. You know, maybe not at the end of the day being competitive via the main archetype, but like it, it does something. So Fair. Uh, Nothing feels worse than like having a whole strategy and being like, haha, Yugi boy, like the only way you can <laughs> go through here is by swinging all my creatures. And when you swing all my creatures, they only go stronger and your opponent just listening and they're just like dot, dot, uh, no and then they just swing at your face and you're like oh well you know <laughs> or that that works yeah. too yeah i mean i'm i'm just saying against beerus full power invoker feeling real kind of nice <laughs> you're like yeah i uh i'm not going to do that yeah like, it's illegal like but like, yeah, so, like <laughs> you can literally just be like yeah you're gonna swing on this like yeah. i don't care what you're saying you're gonna swing on this um and then the last card, which is incredibly thematic, and I'm really happy they did this, is Monaka Universe 7's Ace. A one-drop one card. When the card's played, it draws a card. At the end of battle in which this card attacked a hit card in your opponent's battle area, you get to KO that card. And he's got one power. <laughs> can you imagine your opponent having the hit SR there? I mean, like, there's no way I can lose this game. I am solid, and your opponent's just like, the moment I sided... <laughs> against this deck i knew i knew and they just like just play this <laughs> like can you imagine losing on stream to manaka like that would just you just quit the game 
I mean, I could. Yeah. I, I see people taking on the challenge, kind of like they did with um, uh, photo, where it's just. Oh, like, can I wear a photo? You just put one in your deck, just to. <laughs> just to, if the opportunity ever presents itself. <laughs> I'm just saying, two cards, and your opponent has to combo out of the attack. <laughs> I mean, that's facts. I think photo is still kind of like super ballsy. Like, I think the ultimate. And I haven't seen it happen yet because people will play it for fun. Will you scoop? No. Or somebody will be like, uh, you know, like, yeah, I was about to lose anyway. But I feel like it would actually be such a huge, big baller flex to look at your hand, understand that you most likely have game, and then just give your opponent the first chance to not get humiliated. Be like, uh... commemorative <laughs> play, commemorative photo. And they're just like, are you stupid? And you're just like, all right, <laughs> so you have chosen death, and then just waltz this dude to zero life. Like that shit would be so broken. Yeah, like I've I've always said, like, like I've actually seen Commander Photo being taken in like like first or second turn of the game just because like people were having fun with it and it was on stream. But like I I always try to include one in my green decks just to be able to be like, like because I want to be in a position to bargain with my opponent. Like we're turn five, turn six. You have like two cards in hand i have the board advantage and i start my turn off by playing commander i'm like look you can either respect me right now and just end it here or i'm about to destroy you <laughs> Forget, uh, oh my gosh boondocks booty warrior vibes like, <laughs> we knew this the hard way the choice is yours <laughs> <laughs> oh god uh but uh, yeah, that was it in terms of Sex 16 uh, Black and Green Reveals. We are getting uh, probably most, if not the rest of the Green Reveals tomorrow. So like Chris was saying, definitely check out his YouTube video for that because the band does fantastic coverage of the reveals. But before we jump on over to the SC mailbag, uh, we did get some new info about the new Dragon Ball movie, Dragon Ball Super superhero right if i'm not mistaken <laughs> Look, and, uh, i don't know that name is kind of wild it is what it is yeah but uh chris was ever so excited about it. so chris how about you let us know the new information that dropped about this movie look it's short it's sweet all you need to know is uh it was confirmed by the pretty much second and like the top toei dog because there's like three people that generally work on dragon ball super there is toriyama of course who is the creator there is the dude at Shueisha that pretty much since like Dragon Ball has been the head of the anime department. And now there's Toriyotaro who makes the manga. But the head of the Dragon Ball room in Shueisha has revealed that Gohan is not just going to be a focal point of the movie. He is going to be the main character of Dragon Ball Super Superhero, which probably means that Goku and Vegeta are going to be off world for most of this. So there's going to be some sort of factor that neutralizes them in the plot. And it also means that Pan's not going to be the, super, uh, the uh, main character. She's probably going to get kidnapped. So now I'm going to assume that Goku, Vegeta, and Broly are training somewhere. Pan gets kidnapped. And it's up for it's up to Gohan to just go save his daughter. But in terms of that, I still don't think it's outlandish to think that there might be some new form or his new level of power that doesn't follow his father's or Vegeta's. Because you don't sell cards, gotcha units, toys, and mobs <laughs> and deals off of super saiyan 2 again like you don't that's not how it works so i'm assuming that they're going to give him something new because that's how all this stuff moves i mean okay first off chill dog like 
Gohan struggles to go Super Saiyan 1. We don't even know if he can do Super Saiyan 2 anymore. Like that was tracks to Gohan, okay? <laughs> that was tracks to Gohan, and that made no sense. They made um, him struggle to go into a form he wasn't even supposed to be able to go into anymore. I don't even understand. <laughs> um... So, but like, I, I was actually just thinking about that as you were explaining it. Like, yeah, I was actually just thinking, you know what? This, I don't think they've ever done something like as intense of like these new movies or anything like that, where they haven't introduced a new form. So maybe it is, you know, time for Gohan to get a new form. I mean, at least he gets his time to shine. Like he was promised to basically be the prodigy boy after the Cell Saga. And then they realized Goku makes too much money and then they brought him back. So like, <laughs> maybe this is a shot. It's super sad. Like, a little history lesson for everybody. Like, tiny, tiny, tiny history lesson. Akira Toriyama is a gag author. Like, his first work wasn't Dragon Ball Z. You were looking at more things like Dr. Slump, which is a comedy. You're looking at things like Dragon Ball, which is essentially a martial arts comedy. Like, there were more funny pages in Dragon Ball than there were up until, like, halfway through. Like, it all got real when Krillin got his neck snap for a Dragon Ball by Tambourine. But before yeah. that, <laughs> before that, there was a lot more gag than there was actual, like, seriousness. And so one thing that was kind of wild was that while Gohan became, like, the brand new main character, they literally got Goku out the way. They gave Gohan the new form. They had him becoming the protector of Earth. He surpassed Goku's rival. <laughs> like, he, literally, they gave all of Goku's, like, just clout to Gohan in that moment. But then when they came back, Toriyama kind of took it way back to formula. He had silly costumes in Great Sandman. He had Slice of Life episodes. He had Gohan jumping 18 feet into the air to catch a fly ball. Like, it was very much so Dragon Ball type writing. But I think by then, like, fans had just already been accustomed to Dragon Ball Z. They didn't give a crap about whether Gohan was getting hit on by, like, three girls at the same time when he probably had no interest in females whatsoever. Uh, they they wanted Goku beating the crap out of people. <laughs> and so things changed like really, really quick. But it's just kind of funny because people kind of look at that that little mini arc as like a divergence away from what Dragon Ball was. And I was like, actually, that was a strict return to formula. We just got Dragon Ball Z first. So you wouldn't know that. Like, mm. well, just me, just me being being quirky, nerdy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for what it's worth, you know. Probably the biggest chance of Gohan finally getting a secret rare. Even though I argue with Chris all the time that he's already been on a couple of secret rares. But, like, nevertheless. Uh, <laughs> get out! <laughs> been on a secret rare. He's been on two. How dare you? How dare you? Dude, that secret rare and Doken gave him the same treatment. He's literally in the same right side Ooh. corner. Barely on the card. Yeah, he's oh, like was he's he's like Wazowski in that photo where oh, it's like yo, <laughs> so awful. So what was the other one? You have a here. You have the lint. Oh, and then he's on Vermilion. Yeah. Uh, freaking nah, nah, <laughs> nah, man. And if we get a rare from the movie, no doubt it's him and Pan. It's not just him. It's him and Pan. There's no way they're not gonna end this like battle on like some father daughter Masenko. Yeah, you like, never know. If if they reveal a new form, instead of giving the new form like an SR, they might just like jump right to giving his new form a secret rare. Oh, that's fair. I just I don't I don't know. I feel like like with this thing, Pan's training and Pan probably sees her dad as a nerd. So I'm assuming that this movie is gonna be the first time she finds out that her dad doesn't slap, he doesn't bang, he fucks. Like she's gonna be sitting here like <laughs> 
grandpa. And then like Gohan's just gonna come through and be like, bro, you unhand my daughter, or like I'm snapping next. And they're just like, you ain't got it like that. And Piccolo's gonna be on the ground, like, no, no, seriously. Eleven year old Gohan had serious, serious mental issues. Please let go of his daughter. And then like it's just about to go down. Like, like Red Ribbon <laughs> Army's gonna lose their entire establishment to yet another member of the Sun family. And at the end, you're going to have some weird moment where Pan realizes that her dad is pretty cool, wants to step up and be a hero like him, not like just like her grandfather. And then she's going to fire off a Masenko next to her father and her father, or Kamehameha, because that's just the, the namesake. Unless you want to have three generations and have Piccolo, Gohan, and Pan hit the Masenko at the same time for oh, instant. Gohan and his dad. That's a true family, Masenko, yo. She. For real. For real, tri-generation Masenko, huh? <laughs> By the way, guys, I just have to, like, also, because it just reminds me of this argument with, like, Frank from the VSA. All of Piccolo's moves, they sound weird here, but that's because there were translation issues. Like, you couldn't market a show to kids. Like, anytime there were, like, cartoons back then, they were really specific about moves that had, like, angel or god or demon in them. That's why, like, Kami is always referred to, like, Kami, but Kami does kind of just mean god, and there's, like, a whole lot of things. But all of Piccolo's moves are like explosive demon murder wave and stuff like that. Yeah. So it kills me knowing that Gohan is like six years old or seven years old on planet Namek screaming like explosive murder destruction wave destroying like a racing Frieza Force henchman. Like committing <laughs> murder in gross screaming. <laughs> I'm just like, bro. Oh my God. <laughs> tell, me, tell me he wasn't about that life. Hey, yo. But yeah, so uh, lots to look forward to on that front. I mean, you know, it, they did it with the last time they did Battle Hour. Uh, so hopefully this time with Battle Hour, when uh, we get more announcements on that front, we get some more sneak teases. Also, I didn't. Uh, I know we mentioned it last time, but did they ever end up hitting their like Twitter goals about getting guys like your your chronos and your removals and stuff like that? I I think we got it. I'm pretty yeah. sure we got it. Yeah, you see, it's I don't, I don't remember what they are when I can't read off of the nice chart that was in front of me the first time around. <laughs> In-game currency, and there are really cool units coming out. They made a freaking Gogeta that has this amazing freaking inked-out cutscene of fusing. It's just it's a good time to be playing the game, and there's a lot of free stuff. But gotchas do try to capitalize on like holidays because people will be getting holiday money, so yeah. <laughs> they, sure, they want to make sure they can get into your pockets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so with that said, we'll go ahead and jump into the SC mailbag. Of course, if you guys have any questions for the show, for myself or for Chris, um, feel free to jump into uh, my Discord channel. There is a category there dedicated to asking questions there. Otherwise, you're welcome to at myself or Chris on Twitter with the hashtag SC mailbag, and we'll get to your question on air. A couple of questions. Of course, get them always having a question for us, but this time it's a legitimate question. Um, any advice you would give to players jumping into the game? Fundamentals to master, decks to play, habits to get into. Um, I know I have my take on this, but I'll, I'll let yourself have the first crack at it if you want, Chris. So any habits or tips that a new player could get down to becoming mm -hmm. better at the game? Yeah. Um, I say this about any TCG. Any TCG, okay? There are, like, so many people get on tilt because of the way they lose. But there's always more to gain in terms of losing, and I feel like, an experience than winning. Like, you can win. You can play perfectly and win. 
But sometimes you can win because your opponent drew badly. Sometimes you can win because, you know, you drew godly. There are many circumstances that can be variance-based for winning and losing. But nine times out of ten, there are specific reasons you lost. And if you pay attention to why you lost instead of just the fact that you lost, you have so many more ways to grow as a player because a mistake you won't make again is just one less way you can lose the same way. So I feel like paying attention to your shortcomings within healthy boundaries, because I, I, I definitely don't do that within healthy boundaries. I'd be dwelling on that crap way too much, and that's not good. But within healthy boundaries, I feel like that's, the, that's just the best way that you can learn. So that's, that's one. We, we should back and forth this like tennis. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with that. I think um, like Dragon Ball happens to just be one of those games where it's incredibly like it not only do all my wins feel earned, but all my losses feel earned as well. And like, while yeah, it's frustrating to lose, um, I think that's what I like most about the game, that I know that like probably like eight times out of 10, like it was actually my fault that I lost. Um, so the game very much does lend itself to, um, if you learn from your mistakes and you don't make them again, odds are you will see success um, when you end up facing up the matchup again. And I, uh, that's like one of the big things for me. I think if I had to say like, hey, you wanna master the game, first off, the one thing I always tell people is play some gold format. Not because I think gold format's good. I actually think gold format's pretty trash. Um, but, uh, and for those guys who don't know, gold format in Dragon Ball is essentially playing everything before set three. So you play set two plus the uh, villains expansion pack, which gives you overall. That format um, is basically hand advantage the format. Uh, you, like some of the best cards in the, in the game are like, in that format are like energy boosted boo which is like a one cost blue card that draws a card when it comes on board and it is legitimately like a four of in like so many decks because the game is just like the amount of games that you win and lose by five or ten k are insane because um in that version of the game you don't have archetypes that carry everything right you don't have your gogeta xenos that on turn one allow you to pump out 25k double strikes um Instead, you're basically playing this game of advantage where you're poking your opponent, they're poking you, you're gauging Awaken, um, and you're basically com like the entire game is based around how well do you combo. And I think playing that extreme version of hand control, like hand advantage is the only thing that matters nine times out of 10, really be helps you at becoming better at comboing. So something that I've always told players is that if you want to get better at comboing, you want to get better at hand advantage. Specifically, you know, how do I give my opponent less cards? How do I have more cards? How do I make sure that I'm able to punch in for game here? Um, how do I know if it's worth defending or not? I think playing good format is a fantastic tool that you can use um, to grow your ability to be able to defend yourself, to be aggressive, and to just overall help um, one of the fundamentals that the game has to offer. I definitely agree. People, I'm not trying to put down anybody that joined the game later, but I feel like more times than not, people that join the game after set three don't understand the finer uh, intricacies of applying pressure through just specific numbers. You know maybe what you should pressure, but when you face somebody that does have that intimate knowledge, you'll get a couple of exchanges in and then realize, whoa, why am I bleeding a hand? And it feels like they aren't. And nine times out of 10, it's because while they are used to the current power creep, they also did understand that with the three swings they had, these were the exact three numbers they needed to push through. Looking at your grave, looking at the cards they know you searched, looking at how many super combos are available, these are the exact three numbers they needed to hit you with to make sure that no matter what the exchange, you were always dropping two cards, if not a super combo, 
And that's just kind of how it is. So, like, it's just, I feel like it is a fundamental skill to learn. And I think that's, like, really, really good. You will be sad, though, because when you, if you ever get used to playing in that realm and then you get back to sometimes just getting bursted out in, like, one ridiculously strong turn, depending on the deck. Yeah, that can be sad. But, yeah, it is what it is. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I, I guess the last thing, like what decks to play, like, I mean, play whatever deck you want. Uh, usually if you're a new player, I'll say play aggro. Um, because when you're playing aggro, one, you can just sneak wins against other decks at Fumble, which is always nice. Winning early on in your career as a card player helps a lot in making you feel motivated to want to keep playing for a lot of players who are maybe a bit less competitive. Um, but secondly, um, aggro decks force every step of the game. You're playing cards, which means you're, you're creating counter windows for your opponent's interact, so you're learning how to deal with counter windows. Um, you're going into combat, which means you're dealing with the combo step, um, and you're forcing the game to progress forward. So, like, I would never recommend a new player to play, like, Invoker, because you're playing the game so not the way it's meant to be played <laughs> from, like, a structural standpoint that it would be a terrible learning tool because you're learning a bunch of habits that are very specific to a way one strategy plays. Whereas I think the tips and tricks and tools you learn playing aggressively, so, like, any starter deck, like Red Vegeta or Vegex or whatever, really good at, you know, serving that front, um, force you to play every phase of the game, which forces you to learn them better. And I think the more you're exposed to those, then the better it is. I agree. I agree. Uh, the other thing I would say is uh, just tips to becoming a better player. Uh, I would honestly just, this is again, more TCG stuff. Um, we have so many tools and I know some people don't like untap and I know lots of people don't necessarily just have the cash or the funds to just have every deck maxed out. However, you with things like untap, it's always good to just like, when I'm trying to get ready for a format, and I haven't done this admittedly in a very long time for Dragon Ball Super, that's why I suck. But um, with Yu-Gi-Oh, when I was getting ready for tournaments, I would put every deck that was considered meta and even some of the top rogue contenders on like Dueling Network. And once I'm done getting my reps in for the deck that I'm practicing with, I run reps with the other decks because there's always angles that you don't see. You could play a deck so many times and understand how it plays through that, but you're going to generally get that understanding a little quicker when you play the deck from the other angle. There are going to be plays where you think that, okay, you you play the deck a couple times and you see them play a certain way and you're like, oh, well, that's weird. I don't know why they're doing that. Their hand must just suck. But you play that deck and you play it in and out and you learn its intricacies and then you learn that that play that you just thought was a bad hand necessarily wasn't a bad hand they might have just been missing a specific piece they were guiding themselves towards a play but you were maybe two turns away from getting blown out on a massive exchange but you don't know that setup because you don't know how that deck works from the pilot side so if you're ever trying to get grounded and understand the format play all the decks that come to the table because you're under you you best know how to take a deck apart when you put it together and that's like just something I found that always does really, really well when I'm playing competitive TCGs. Yeah, actually, that was like that was actually going to be my last piece of advice. Know your matchups um, and know your matchups works both ways. First, make sure you actually understand what decks are supposed to do, what they're trying to do. And even if you don't get reps in, at least you understand like, OK, Gogeta Zeno, like turbos out like 25k double strikes or whatever. Um, but uh, my advice is 100 percent of the time, if you have the time to dedicate to it, play the other decks. 
Um, because like Chris was saying, not only do you now understand what the deck is trying to do and why your opponents who are playing the deck might end up be doing a thing or two, but what you also realize is where the pain points of the deck are. So as you tested it versus other opponents, you start to realize as the pilot of the deck, which situations your opponent's putting you in that are making you feel uncomfortable. Which means that for you, now every time you play against a deck moving forward, you have a deep knowledge of what, like your opponent now is feeling pressed. Even though like from a hand advantage standpoint, from a board presence standpoint, it might look on the outside looking in that he's fine. You know from experience having played that deck that he's feeling pressed, he's feeling annoyed, and you can maximize that feeling of discomfort and pressure that the deck is at to be able to eke out wins that you might not have been able to previously, not understanding where the deck feels not 100%. And I think um, 100% on what Chris was saying, the more you get experience understanding piloting a deck, um, the much better you are at uh, facing towards it. You know, and um, typically for me, like if, if I, you guys want an example, like I find I'm exceptional when it comes to the invoker um, mirror match. But that's just because I know how much my opponent frustrate me with the stuff that they do to make the deck feel awkward. And that's just kind of a, that's, that's a little bit more uh, key. You know, th that's once you've learned how to play the game and you're comfortable with your deck and you want to get to the next level competitive, it's definitely there. But as a hundred percent, a phenomenal tool and ev almost every player, um, who is a uh, top level at this game across national champions and even a world champion, um, they definitely at least test out every deck to understand, uh, those specifics. So, that that yeah, that would pretty much close out anything I'd have to say in terms of like new players trying to get better at the game for sure. Yeah, I mean, there's only one more thing: it's simply just get good, scrub. Yeah. Like, <laughs> 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 oh god, yeah. I no, mean, yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, me too. I mean, <laughs> oh, god. Um, all right, last uh, question to round out the podcast uh, is asked by Carlo. Uh, do you enjoy lentil soup? Is this a random Carlo? Or is this our Carlo? Uh, this is, uh, I mean, our Carlo, I guess I would want to say. Uh, if I look at the mutual servers, he's on mine. I don't see him on yours. So if he's not on your server and your Carlo's on your server, then uh, I'd say it's... Cool. Yeah. All right, guys, I just to make sure. When, when people I know be asking these weird questions. <laughs> you know, Lentils are the small little bean things, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like yeah, little nah. legumes. Just like imagine soft gravel pebbles in your soup. That's lentils. I need beans or it just needs to be all soup. But do not serve me these minuscule cat litter-like <laughs> texture. <laughs> I, uh, I do not enjoy lentil soup. Uh, I don't mind it. It's not my favorite, but like generally, like almost all soups are like welcome into my stomach. So I mean, I'll eat it if it's there. It's, I'd like like you. I would rather beans or like little pasta balls or something. But like if it has to be lentils, like I don't mind that much. Is whatever. That's fair. That's fair. Well, yeah. yeah I mean, that was a weird question. But uh, all I gotta say is, people who are listening, there's just always information to gleam. And one day, you two could graduate from scrub to headmaster scrubs by topping or winning events with scrub level decks such as U7 Gohan or Ramp Gogeta. <laughs> yes, there always, there's always an opportunity there for you to mark your name in history by janking it out and getting some really good matchups throughout the tournament. <laughs> <laughs> by janking it out. <laughs> oh, yeah. God. 
Uh, but with that said, guys, of course, uh, that was the Super Combo Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Of course, if you guys want to find us, you guys can find me at Espira TV or Espira TCG over on YouTube. Chris, where can the people find you? Uh, many, many places. Uh, you get on to your local bar in Northern Virginia at 2 a.m. I'm probably there set. No, um, no for real, though. <laughs> You can catch me at UniXDBS on YouTube, but you can also catch me at UniXDBS on both Instagram and Twitter. Awesome, awesome. And of course, guys, if you guys want to listen to the show on your favorite podcasting app, we are on all of them. So definitely go check that out and subscribe. And with that said, we'll catch you guys on the next one. All right, later. Later.